Before the baseball stadium was there, I used to work at the strip club. What's that other one? Um, well, there's a lot of movies about financial chicanery. It was like the short game or... The big short? The big short. We'll probably never get rid of the central bank in, in America. Um, or, or if we do, it'll be probably the last country to do it. You're listening to the Flirting with Bitcoin podcast. I'm Mandana. I'm Ian. That's Keon, and, and we're, we're the, the Recephies. My husband loves Bitcoin, and once a week, I let him talk my ear off about it. Yeah, I'm a real cheap date. Cheap, maybe, but it's a lot of work. If I'm going to do something, may as well do it the best way possible. And Flirting with Bitcoin is audience-funded without ads or sponsors. Mm-hmm, this ain't your grandma's podcast. This is podcasting 2.0. But we can't do this for free, babe. We have Bitcoin to buy and a new mouth to feed. <laughs> See? Our son agrees with me. If and when people enjoy the show, they can support us by giving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they're listening. They can share episodes on their social media, and of course, they can send us some money. Obviously, I prefer Bitcoin, and the best way to send us some is through our two favorite apps, Strike and Fountain. Ah, let's explain how that works at the end of the episode for anyone curious. Sure, babe. But I still like real money, and so if you want to support us... Babe, babe, Bitcoin is real money. Sure, but if you want to support us with old school money, go to flirtingwithbitcoin.com and subscribe. We offer monthly and yearly subscriptions that come out to less than a dollar an episode. To all our fountainheads out there, keep making and sharing clips of the show to cash in on our bounty program. Make that money, honey. Y'all ready? Hey, Keon, you ready, baby? Let's go. Hey, Ian. Hey, Mandana. Hola, Spain. Guten Tag, Germany. Sawadi, Thailand. Hola, Brazil. Good day, Canada. Good day, UK. Hola, Argentina. Buongiorno, Italy. Namaskara, Nepal. And, and howdy, howdy to Texas. Texas. And hello to all of our other listeners out there. Nepal, Nepal's holding strong. I thought I, it was an anomaly, but they're... You? No, they've been there for a while. I mean, they have, but, you know, sometimes people come in and out of the last spot. But they're they're holding strong. The very cool thing is, like, I just know how to say namaskara. No one's told me that I've, I'm saying it right. But the fact that I say it. Which means one of two things. Uh-huh. Either A, no one in Nepal is listening. And somehow our stats are wrong. <laughs> yeah. I think. Or B, you I'm got it right. It perfectly. 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 Um, yeah, so it's really cool. What an incentive, man. Do a podcast. Get international listeners track where they're listening from, learn how to say hi in the language. Like, this is how you can learn. You know, we could also say goodbye in, in different languages. and then that would, At the end of the episode, yeah. you're asking for a lot, buddy, buddy. All right. I know. What time is it, babe? The current time is 8.09.317, and we are approximately 1,428 blocks since our last recording. And if I gave you one U.S. dollar, how many acres could I get on Bitcoin Island? Today, you could get 3,794 acres, a.k.a. Satoshis, on sunny Bitcoin Island. And what about other tangible things? Eggs, beef, gas? Yep, can't help you out on that. Pricedinbitcoin21.com is still down. So I left them a message on Twitter. We'll see if they... Oh, I hope they're okay. I'm sure they are. It seems like a DNS issue. They probably didn't okay. pay their bill or something. Mm. It happens. It, it happened does. to us. It does. I mean, <laughs> look, we've, we've gone off the radar twice to the point that people had to reach out to us. We've done it more than twice. But... Yeah. <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. Life gets in the way of passion projects. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, 
that is one of the downsides of doing a podcast part-time is that uh, it's always oh, at yeah, least the yeah. second most important thing. It's hard. Yeah. Like we'll get hit with an idea and then it's like, I don't have time to do that. Yeah. Like your book. I, yeah. Guys, I want to write this book, Confessions of a Bitcoin Wife. Maybe that's not what it's called, but then it's like, all right, but then I would have to write a book. I mean, similar to acquiring one Bitcoin, you got to at least write one page. Yeah, that's true. Also, like, sure, it's a book, but think about the audiobook. <laughs> that's where I would thrive. Once it's actually written and just reading it out loud. Yeah, the book is not even like, that's like the first of four steps. I know, it's right? so much work. But I think it would be a really cool way to capture like the whole experience. I mean, what I was thinking is it could explain how I needed to learn about Bitcoin, like in what order and to really understand it. And I was also thinking to like have some honest criticism of how, you know, the rest of the world outside of Ian was trying to explain Bitcoin to me, even like how initially maybe you were trying to explain Bitcoin to me. The more you learn, the easier it is to explain. Yes, that's true. And also, I mean, it was a completely different, maybe, but like completely different, in my opinion, landscape at the time. It was like crypto was booming. And so it was a very like overwhelming. Am I too late? I don't even understand what this means. NFTs were huge. Like what a time to be alive. NFTs were huge to a specific group of people. Yeah. Well, I, it was creeping into my world. They're now worth zero. All of them? Everything is down by at least 90%. All right. Well. It's not zero, but it may as well be zero. The people that paid hundreds of thousands for things have are selling them for thousands. Someone's still buying it for a thousand. I don't know if they're selling, selling. They are for sale. Okay. Right. All right. That's different. Um, as I've said on the pod before, I think that whole crypto... When you say crypto was booming, we don't really have all the details yet because like a certain group of people involved in that crypto is booming time period haven't gone belly up yet. So we don't have like court filings and stuff like that to like understand what's happening. But I think what's going to come out in the end is that a lot of venture capitalists are the reason why crypto was booming. Mm -hmm. They all made money. Yeah. Like, if you bought an NFT, you probably lost money. The guy who built the platform that you bought that NFT from, he probably made money. So, like, it's stuff like that where the more you learn about Bitcoin, the easier it is to explain, the easier it is to explain why you don't want to be in those things. And I think so many people were making money at that time, or at least perceived money at that time, that no one was even stopping to try to question what was going on, except for the Bitcoiners. Yeah, um, kind of on topic, the movie Dumb Money is going to come out soon. That's the GameStop story. Okay. And so that was how many years ago? Like two? GameStop? Yeah. I mean, that was like the very beginning of COVID. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, and the crypto crash was last year. I'm just saying, could we get a movie next year about this? Maybe. I mean, they're they're churning them out. I mean, and this is pretty star studded. Um, and so, if this does well, I think they'll just. I mean, they they have a tendency, right? Of Wolf of Wall Street, for example, was a movie that did really well. That was just trying to explain something that happened in the financial world. Yeah, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street. I feel like explained it really well, but they were explaining something that was pretty well understood. What's that other one? Um, 
Well, there's a lot of movies about financial chicanery. It was like the short game or... The big short? The big short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the short game. Yeah. The big short is about 08. And it yes. came out when? 2018? 2015. 15? So like seven years yeah. later, they finally were able to put together a picture of what happened um, in a format that like the average person could watch yeah. and like understand. And I would argue that most people can't watch the big short and come away with like explaining to you what happened. They could tell you that it was a good movie and they could tell you who won and lost and why, but they still can't really explain to you what actually happened in 08. So I think this goes just to another layer of like, if you're going to wait for Hollywood to tell you what happened, you're really not going to understand what happened. It'll probably be a good product. Like it'll be entertaining to watch, but to actually learn from something that Hollywood put out these days, I would argue is, that is that is not the place you want to get your information from. <laughs> you may as well get it from from Ian from Lee. mainstream news at that point because <laughs> like it's the same thing. Yes, but I think uh, that's not how like these film creators think, and they're good stories too. Like I think what this uh, I think it's dumb money it's mm-hmm. called. Um, it's a good story to tell. And so it, it's going to be interesting how it plays out. I assume it's going to do well because it's star studded and it, it looks good. The ads are running for it now. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, dumb money is, is really building off of the success of Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Like you put a bunch of stars in a movie so that at least gets people's attention. And then you, ex- you try to explain a what very, happened? a very complicated financial problem that like even me when i first came to it i was in tra- i was a trader i understood how trading worked and someone was trying to explain this to me or i was reading the guy's post on reddit and i was just like yeah i guess like that should work like if they've sold more shares than exist mm-hmm. someone's going to get wrecked and if this guy thinks he's going to be on the winning side like good on you yeah and then when it just built up all the momentum and like everybody kind of piled in because everybody was feeling that like the rich people are just getting richer and this is the one way that I can possibly stick it to them. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't recall, but I believe someone got wrecked yeah. from that mm-hmm. trade. Yeah, I think so. I forget the name of the company, and but it's someone... in the trailer. Like, yeah. Oh, no, the rich people are quivering in their boots. Yeah, and then, like, yeah, the yeah. The poor person that's making money is like, hey, hey. Yeah, and so I would say that, like, it'll, it'll probably be a successful movie because of the success of Wolf of Wall Street. But it also is like, it's the old problem, you know, like, how do you sell more shares than exist? Oh, because it's fake money. Yeah. It's all fake, right? right? And so he just trapped them in their own game, yep. which is great. But like, I don't want to play that game anymore. I know you don't want to play that game, but I do think that the GameStop story was like a part of my education that led to understanding Bitcoin. Sure, I would. Yeah. I think I was explaining it yeah. to you. You were and... explaining it to me a lot as it was unfolding, and I was like, "Because you were explaining stocks to me previously, mm-hmm. and then when this happened, I was like, right, this is all fake.'" And you were like, "Yeah," but I was like, "Fugazi," <laughs> because Ian was trying to get me into stocks, and I was like, "I don't like this. This makes me very uncomfortable. Some this just doesn't feel right." I kept saying it felt evil, and I'm not a religious person. But, you know, gambling in some religions is not, is frowned upon. It's a sin. And I, and I just kept telling Ian, like, 
this just, and I, again, I'm not religious. I don't, I don't even know if God exists, but I was like, this feels like a sin. This feels not like the right way to make money. And I kept saying that to you. Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, you think people with money are evil though. Look, because it depends on how many commas you got. Look, it don't have three commas. It. it depends on how you got it. Don't have three commas because then it don't matter how you got it. You. It doesn't matter how you got it if you have three commas. Because how can you have three commas without doing some bad? Unless I guess you bought Bitcoin when it was at one cent. Um, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah. So like that's just where I was, and I just remember when the GameStop story was happening. I was like, yes, it like all made sense to me how it was unfolding, and I just remember being like, good. And you were like, this is crazy, babe. Oh, my God. Now this is happening. Haha. <laughs> like you were enjoying the ride. But I was like, yeah, that checks out. And it was really interesting that it was like checking out, playing out that way, right? As I was like also trying to learn about stocks. Um, but I know that that story was the way that so many Americans finally understood the stock market. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, like taking it away from the stock market, because this is a Bitcoin podcast. You know, basically what those people were doing was yield farming, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm, I'm really dumbing down what they were doing. They being the, the hedge fund that got trapped in this trade, they were yield farming. So they oversold the shares, but they were figuring out a way to like pull money out as the price kept going down. And everybody, I would argue, in the uh, hedge fund world, they may not be doing exactly what that group was doing, but they're doing a version of that where they just have a position where depending on which way the market moves, it doesn't really matter which way the market moves. They just pull money from whichever side is winning and like keep rolling it over into a better and better trade. And so like on our previous episode, we talked about like if it has yield, what was your, what was your line? Leave the field or something something like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was talking about lightning and how lightning is probably a pretty low risk way to generate some yield on your Bitcoin. And then I opened some more channels. Well, we're getting about a hundred sats a week now. Hey. So like, that's just with like a little bit of like work. Like it's not a lot of work, so you're not going to get a lot of, you're not going to get a lot of yield off of it. But uh, one of the cool things about generating yield that way or generating yield on your Bitcoin that way is I don't really have to do anything. Like in those other scams where you're like generating yield, say scams, in those other scenarios where you're generating Mm -hmm. yield, you eventually have to make like another trade to take your profit out and go do something else with it, right? But with Lightning, there's no real profit taking, right? Like I have a channel that's open and as the stats move in between it, it just starts building up on one side, but all that does is still give me more, uh, uh, it's still, let's just call it like a million sat channel, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's open for a million sats to move both ways, but like the amount of sats that I get if this channel ever closes starts swinging more and more towards my side, right? So when it first opens, it's a million and a million. And, and if it's cl- a million and a hundred. Million and a hundred. Yeah. Million and two hundred. Mm-hmm. Million and three hundred. So like... That's pretty cool. You don't ever have to make an alternative trade. You just let it run. And if the channel ever does close, that's when you like take your quote unquote profit. But here's the trick. Closing a channel costs sats. Huh. 
it costs sats to open a channel because it's a bitcoin transaction it's a transaction on the layer okay. one so depending on when you open that channel like if you would open your your lightning channel you know day two of lightning right it probably cost you about 100 sats to open the channel today i think it costs about let's just round up and say a thousand sats Ooh. to open the channel and depending on the fees at the time it might cost three thousand five thousand sats so your profit is there but if you get forced closed early you might end up actually losing money why would you be forced that's a technical thing we won't get into All right. but yeah, the you're point gonna, you're going down yeah. a rabbit hole here. but the, the point that i'm getting at is like you don't have to make that other trade to take your profit mm -hmm. and if your channel never closes basically what will happen is that the stats that you will get if that channel ever closes eventually would just total the whole channel. And then you either close the channel because you've made way more stats than you've um, than you paid to like open it and will pay to close it. Yeah. Or, which is what I did the other day to just do some balancing is you just transfer the stats off your channel yeah. to like your other lightning wallets and take it out that way. Look at us stacking stats. So like... Uh, it's not a lot of work to, to earn a little bit of sats, but to your idea of like, we could just be a sat farm. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not where we're, uh, we're heading with this yet. idea. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. We'll put yet on the end of everything because we don't know where the price of Bitcoin is going. And based on some things that people said the past couple of weeks, I don't know, man. I don't know if people are just like trying to get attention and just saying larger and larger numbers. <laughs> yes, I do think that's what it is. But the math that they're using to to project the future price of Bitcoin, like I agree with the math. What I don't know cuz none of us have seen this play out is what happens when hundreds of billions of dollars comes into the Bitcoin economy because of all these ETFs. So no one really knows. People are picking the number of how much they think is going to come in and then applying what I believe is a very solid equation for conservatively what you could see. And it's anywhere from like 10 to 20 to 30 X. I can't even think about that. That's well, there's a lot of people thinking about that. <laughs>So one thing that we did not talk about that I, I kept wanting to talk about for multiple weeks now is that El Salvador has introduced Bitcoin education into public schools. Huh. So this will be, and I'm paraphrasing, but this will be something that is required learning in the country of El Salvador. Cool. Do you have any more information about that? Like the age? The School. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, we don't even have financial literacy as a requirement in America. <laughs> Good on them. I mean, but forgetting the, the details of it, I think the, the, the general idea is more important, which is, in theory, in order to say that you successfully completed school, you are going to have to learn how Bitcoin works. Mm -hmm. Forget the ages and the grades and all that fun yeah. stuff. It doesn't really matter. If this is required as like, reading, writing, arithmetic, Bitcoin, mm -hmm. or at least economics yeah. or money yeah. or whatever you want to call that last yeah, one. Financial literacy. Um, we definitely don't have that here in the States. Nope. I, don't, I can't speak for every European country, but I don't think it's in the UK or Germany or France either. So like 
major Western, NATO, European, whatever you want to call them, countries do not force this type of education. And as we've talked about on the pod, Bitcoin kind of forces you to see the world differently. And I think that this is just another thing to point to to say that, like, I think El Salvador is going to be a very special place because people think and it's very similar. It just reminds me so much with Tesla. Like, I I keep coming back to Tesla on this idea. People thought that, oh, eventually Toyota and Ford and GM will just like wake up one day and start making electric cars. And because they're these major car companies, like they'll know how to make electric cars. It's a completely different type of thing. And so now all of those guys have shown up into the electric car market. They've brought their electric cars to market and everyone goes, this is crap. Yeah. So it took Tesla roughly going on, what, 15 years now? El Salvador is probably going to have a 15-year head start on having a population of people that are actually educated to how everything is a scam. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a very powerful economy. And how to bypass those scams. How to bypass those scams, how to not participate in those scams, how to identify those scams, and how to say, that's not how we do business here. And I think that that's going to be a very strong uh, antidote for the parasites of the world. When you have a population that sees you for what you are, which is a parasite, not an elite. Mm. So big deal, big deal. Um, and I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that Argentina will be next to do something What's like that. What's going on with their elections? Nothing. The election hasn't happened yet. Um, the presumptive president, uh, president-elect making waves, you know, people are going there and like interviewing him now because... He seems to be the next president, at least okay. the way that the stats tend to work out. Uh, and one of the people that went there to interview him was Tucker Carlson. Oh, yeah, I saw that. that he yeah. interviewed him. Well, the first thing I'll say about that is Tucker put that on Twitter. Well, I guess it's called X now, but he put it on Twitter. I know, it's so weird. They're really going for it. Yeah. Okay. We can get into that later. But, like, <laughs> um, he, put the, he put this on Twitter. and. It got almost 500 million views. Mm-hmm. Most came from the global south. It's okay. Not, um, most came from the global south. And the point of Tucker's interview with this presumptive presidential candidate is that There is someone finally speaking to the actual problem of Argentina that might actually win. A lot of candidates have spoken to the problem of Argentina, but for some reason have never been able to break through. And I feel like part of it is just most people hadn't felt the pain yet. Did you watch the interview? Oh, yeah. Is there anything special about this guy? Uh, Special, like... He's he's smart. When he talks, you can tell that he you know he knows what he's talking about. He doesn't overcomplicate things, which I think is what helps him get the masses to understand his basic message. I guess this is a better question for our Argentinian listeners since we have a lot of them. Um, let us know what you guys think. Like they're living it, um, and sometimes it's like a politician can come off a certain way. But maybe that's not really what's resonating with the people. We're, you know, we're seeing like a very high level packaging of them right outside of the country. Yeah. I mean, this guy, he definitely, 
he definitely has um he definitely has his persona in place, right? And his persona is look, I'm just a regular guy that sees the problem and here's a solution, right? Like that's the persona. For a politician. <laughs> that's the persona, right? Yeah. But the thing that he's proposing, getting rid of the central bank, you name me the last central bank that's been gotten rid of in the world. It just doesn't happen. So he's proposing that, but he's not saying and Bitcoin. Or is he also, I thought he was also saying and Bitcoin. Yes. Like, he's a smart person. So once you've identified the problem, which is the central banks printing money is the problem. So he's saying we're eliminating central banks, no more printing money. What we got, we got. Sure, sure. But the point of the... Once you've identified the problem, you have to propose a solution. Like this is, I think, one of the biggest issues in American politics is that we got tons of problems. Anyone can point to a problem. But the minute someone points to a solution, 50% of the people are just like, well, that guy's on Team Blue, so I ain't with the solution. Doesn't matter if it's the solution or not. I'm just not with it because you're on the wrong team. Well, I think... And then they go, but it was the red guy solution eight years ago. You guys liked it then. Mm -mm. You changed the word. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Something like that. And that's why we'll we'll probably never get rid of the central bank in in America. Um, or, Or if we do, it'll be probably the last country to do it. But, you know, like your famous, like your like your favorite uh play hamilton it's not my favorite but i like it you You know the the question that they ask is like okay you had this revolution all right what comes next yeah and i would argue that this guy's answer to that is first we get rid of the central banks right the american revolutionaries say first we got to get rid of the brits look i understand that's what you're saying but what did he say in the interview like what is his major is he like Bringing Bitcoin to this conversation yet. That's all I'm asking. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. I'm saying that. But okay. like he doesn't, this is my point. Is like He doesn't start with Bitcoin, yes, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yes, okay. that's my point. Whereas Bukele was like, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. It's going to solve all of our problems. Bukele, well, yes and no. I mean, Bukele's thing was we got to get rid of the gangs. Okay. Right? So they got rid of the gangs before they had Bitcoin as like yeah, institutionalized, yeah. right? So you gotta find your, they're still working on it. With what? The violence, the gang violence issues. I mean, I don't know, down ninety-five percent is like Yes, they're doing well, but I'm saying like it's not while that has been happening, they started up Bitcoin. They did it concurrently. Sure. Yeah. Like there's two things that happened. One was a bunch of people got thrown into jail. One was new laws passed mm-hmm. about Bitcoin. They did not happen concurrently. They passed those laws after they got rid of the gangsters. So I think that like shows we've identified the problem. This is the solution. This Argentinian guy, he's talking more towards the central bankers, not towards a gang problem, which like I said on the last episode, I feel like in a fiat inflationary world you have gangs and you know like organized crime and stuff like that but i've never really heard about like argentinian 
crime the way that I've heard about El Salvadorian crime. But that's because a lot of Argentinians don't walk here. Yeah. You know, so like a lot. huge El Salvadorian population. El Salvadorians walk here. So like. It's top of mind here more because we know people from El Salvador. Sure. The article that I was talking about was education in El Salvador. Somehow we got onto Argentina. (laughs) Tangent. Um, What else is going on, babe? Um, So another thing that is. Oh, yeah. So another thing international wise, just moving down the Pacific coast is Costa Rica. I love Costa Rica. Right. Um, I love Costa Rica also. So there's a there's a Bitcoin company in Canada called Bitcoin Bull. We've talked about them a couple times. They're the one that integrated with the the postal service in Canada where mm-hmm. you could buy Bitcoin through a, a QR code voucher at the post office. Mm-hmm. So they're teaming up with, um, teaming up with is a relative term, but they're coming to Costa Rica and they have official banking rails in Costa Rica where people can buy Bitcoin through Bitcoin Bull in um, Colones, which that just hasn't existed. Up until then, you had to use that as Azteco solution. Ah, I remember that one as well. Awesome. Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Um, so... This is a big deal because it's giving Costa Rica like uh, a swan or, you know, strike kind of experience to buying Bitcoin. Um, obviously, like, you know, you you go through Binance probably is in every country in the world because they don't follow any rules. Um, there's always been ways, but this is going to be like an official above board way to do it. Um, I don't really know the guy, but the guy that runs Bitcoin Bull is like hardcore Bitcoiner. Um, and so like, he's been like really excited about this and, you know, this is like another Central American country that's like, do you think the, cause like Nostra, they had a Nostra Rica convention earlier this year. Do you think this was a result of that? No. Like, oh, not, not connected at all. All right. I mean, like I was wondering if there was like a Bitcoin community growing in Costa Rica. Well, Bitcoin, there's Bitcoin. Cause when we went. We went in, what, January? There was no Bitcoin, nothing. No, there's Bitcoin in Costa Rica, not just we not were. where we were. Yeah. So this that's my point is El Salvador has Bitcoin Beach. There's Bitcoin Jungle in Costa yeah. Rica. And it's a little further south than where we go. Yeah. So, like, it's not. Maybe next time. Not, I mean, that's. You know that beach that we drove to? Yeah. A couple hours past I that. I guess in a couple years when, like, maybe Kian isn't with us. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, so that's like just a little piece of news. Like Costa Rica is going to have like roughly the same services as Canadians. You know, Bitcoin Island sounds great, but it doesn't sound like it'll be better than Costa Rica. So if Costa Rica is in Bitcoin Island, like whew, best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, every every country, I imagine that every country is eventually going to have some version of Bitcoin Beach or Bitcoin mm-hmm. Jungle um, just because... Eventually, within a country, you're going to have enough Bitcoiners that say, hey, what if we all went to location X and did Bitcoin Beach? It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Central American countries, it's easier. You know, like things tend to already be isolated already. And so Bitcoin solves a problem uh, that most, let's say, Western countries don't have in general, Mm -hmm. which is like money movement. Right. But they also need tourism. And I would argue that Bitcoiners are probably the best tourists around lately because, number one, 
they bring the best money in the world with them. And number two, they want to go to all these places. Like, I'm surprised, like, if someone is doing this, great. If no one's doing this, someone should do this. There should be a Bitcoiner tours company. And they just put together, like, two different packages that's like, do you want a mini tour or do you want the worldwide tour? And they just put an itinerary together for you that says, here's all the Bitcoin places that are happening this year. You know, here's your QR code. You scan it. They, they buy all your tickets so and everything. And then like that, a company like that could like almost guarantee tourism to any place. And you'd want to be on that like tour, tour circuit. Yeah, like um, restaurants in that area would like be encouraged to then accept Bitcoin because it's like you have a whole tour bus of Bitcoiners that are going to hop off on here and they're only going to want to go wherever Bitcoin's accepted. Yeah, I mean, and there is a Bitcoin island technically in the Philippines, right? And there's like a hundred places that take Bitcoin on that island. Yeah. So it's going to happen slowly over time. The company that makes the most dominant Bitcoin miner, called Bitmain, that's the name of the company, they just unveiled their new Bitcoin miner. It's a beast. So we were talking about the other day about hash rate. Yeah. And how I said, it doesn't have to necessarily be more miners, it's just better performing computers. You can expect all of the Bitcoin miners out there today to be swapping out they're Bitcoin miners. So let's get their miner. <laughs> this is, this is yeah. what I'm getting at. Is so we'll buy them on eBay. When they dump all of their S19s, which is the current version that mm -hmm. everyone wants, and buy the S21s, which is what's coming out, that will just reduce the price of all the S19s because the market will just be flooded with S19s. Mm -hmm. So we're probably getting a really? Bitcoin miner in the next like 12 months because once these hit the market, if you don't have these, you just can't compete. So the Bitcoin mining companies, they put in orders, like, they've probably already put the orders in before they announce the product, right? I'm just going to say this is good information, but how much is it? How much is what? The mining machine. The new one or the old ones? The old one. The market will determine the price of that. How much is it right now? I think you can get an S19 for like $1,200. Okay. I thought you were going to say $12,000. No, 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 no. Okay, so Bitcoin, it'll, be, it'll be much cheaper. Yeah, I mean, it'll probably come down by at least 10, 20%. It'll probably be below $1,000. It's used, yeah. It's used, but it'll still make you money. Yeah, that's true. All right, next story. Thank you. Um, but the story that I really wanted to talk about is someone wrote a really good article on, or essay, on the, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain and how you can compare the evolution of the Bitcoin blockchain to neighborhood gentrification. And I thought this was a really good comparison because people have very strong opinions of gentrification, people understand what gentrification is, but they don't necessarily understand why the Bitcoin blockchain and block space is intrinsically valuable, right? And so this guy uh, who wrote this article or essay talked about the, there was like a rich guy that like built a brand new soccer stadium in Madrid and where he went to build the stadium and how when he bought the land, there was like nothing around and you know what stadiums tend to do happen here in DC, mm -hmm. right? Where the baseball stadium is today used to be strip clubs and limo repair shops. And, and now it's like hundred, you know, it was like a 
It costs so much money just to go out to dinner there. Yeah. Like, the parking garages in St. Lakes, it's just ridiculous. Right. And so, like, while there's probably a bunch of people that are like, oh, I miss my strip clubs, (laughs) there's less of them than people who apparently like to go to baseball games and pay hundreds of dollars to go to dinner. So, while some people think that gentrification is a bad thing and a negative has a negative connotation, inevitably the value, perceived value of that area has dramatically changed. And homeowners, if you did own a home in and around the baseball stadium, they've enjoyed the price appreciation. They might not like the baseball crowds, but like, how long are you going to stay before you sell? Right? Mm -hmm. Well, this essay was really cool because he kind of explained and is talking about what's happening with Bitcoin right now with people trying to bring NFTs to Bitcoin, right? So we've talked about this before. They're called ordinals. Right. Right. So there's a lot of complaints. People don't like it. Number one reason is because it's just jacked up the cost of Bitcoin transactions. Right. And there's been plenty of stuff written that says Bitcoin was supposed to be, you know, it's just money transactions and, you know, it's peer-to-peer cash. Like that's what's written in the white paper. Okay, cool. You can't enforce that, though. If someone figures out a new functionality that brings more value to this blockchain, maybe you don't like what's bringing the value. Like, I'm not a baseball fan. I can't stand baseball. But there's at least 30,000 people five days a week that like baseball. Weird, but yeah. (laughs) Right? So I don't go. I don't complain. It contributes taxes to the city, allegedly, and all the stuff that happens down there. It's overall net positive for the city. Maybe not the crowds and everything are probably a problem, but like the strip clubs and limo limo repair shops were not adding to the tax base of the city. What are the strip clubs and limousine repair shops of the blockchain? Um, That's a great question. I think, (laughs) honestly, I think that we're a little too early and that ordinals are actually yeah, the strip clubs. That's what I was gonna say. Right? Ordinals yeah. are the strip clubs and the limousine repair shops mm-hmm. of the of the blockchain. Um they kinda They're not gentrifying anything. <laughs> they're making it's reverse gentrification. <laughs> well, no, because like before it was like let's just call it like agricultural yeah. land, right? It was just raw land. They're kicking the cows. The cows are running out of hay. Land to graze. Yeah, let's see how far you're gonna take this analogy. Um, what else do you know about farms? I know enough to yeah. say that ordinals are the strip clubs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like uh, I'll link to it in the in the show description. I won't read off the whole essay on the podcast, but it was just a really good essay. And I'm glad we talked about it because, yes, I think that ordinals and NFTs are the like strip clubs and limousine repair shops. How many times in this episode are we going to say strip clothes and limousine repair shops? <laughs> okay, so the reason the reason why I'm saying it so much is that before the baseball stadium was there, I used to work... At the strip club. At a federal government building for multiple years that was across the street from a strip club and a limousine repair shop. That was intentional. Maybe. Probably, I don't know. I don't GSA picked it. GSA is like the agency that like manages all the leases and federal maintenance of buildings. This wasn't this wasn't a lease. This was a building from World War II that used to build torpedoes. Oh, so they were building it around there because they had clientele that was gonna walk over the street. Who? The federal workers. 
I mean, no. You no. don't open a strip club across the street from an office building unless you know there's going to be clients that are coming through. The strip clubs were not open when we were at work. They open at night. Exactly. When you walk, get off work, you walk across the street. I think this is spoken like a person who doesn't know how strip clubs work. You're right. I don't. Do so, people go to strip clubs during the day? People do go to strip clubs during the day. These I strip clubs were not, were not open during the day. The point is, is that yeah. the reason why I'm this saying is this. going over my head. I'm a little innocent angel. I don't know anything. <laughs> the, the reason why I'm saying this so much is that when they were proposing building the baseball stadium and building it down there, because remember, I've lived here for 20 years. Mm-hmm. When they were having this debate, like in the public, you know, Washington Post or whatever. Yeah. That was the line that everyone kept saying was like strip clubs and limousine repair shops. That's all that's down there. Why are you fighting this? Like. We're going to clean up the neighborhood. And I think, like, while they were having this big argument, like, someone got shot down there. Like, and there's murder. <laughs> like, like, it was just oh, not man. great, right? Gentrification in D.C. is it's a, t- it's a tough subject. But I think I will, like, just a little tangent. It's the reality of anywhere that you live. It's going to get nicer and more expensive if you live remotely near a place where there are jobs. So I think that it's, like, for us, we live in a neighborhood that's, under that's like us we live in a neighborhood that's gentrifying right now right sure yeah it's i think in the middle cycle of gentrification i think 10 years into a 20 year cycle yes and i think that we might somehow be priced out of this place in 40 years maybe unless bitcoin pops you know like i think now the mindset that everyone has going into these gentrified neighborhoods or living in these gentrified neighborhoods is i might not live here forever i might not be able to afford it based on what's happening i don't think that was the reality that people had 20 30 40 years ago but at this point in washington dc slash america slash the world like if you live in bad not or not so nice neighborhood next to a bunch of really nice neighborhoods like it's coming for you yeah i mean Sorry if this is the house you grew up in. Like, you can, none of us are immune. You can do a Google search of, like, word usage over time. Gentrification doesn't really become a word until, like, the late 80s. Right. People didn't know what it meant until, like, 10, 15 years ago. I mean, I would argue the word didn't exist. Yeah. Until the late 80s. But there's a reason for that. It's because the word before gentrification was white flight yeah right so you used to have a bunch of people that did live in the cities mm-hmm. they liked the cities allegedly because they lived there for a long time then we had some crazy stuff happen in the 70s mm-hmm. and everybody left the cities and the people that stayed either they stayed because they loved the city or they couldn't leave and then the crazy stuff that happened in the 70s kind of all died down those people that left went to the surrounding counties here. Built they had they had their children. Their children's their children grew up living in the suburbs of the city, looking at the city, going like, "Well, that's where all the stuff is. Why am I risking DUIs to party every weekend? I'll just live in the city." Then you couple that with like, "Well, the gays of the city were the bravest people because they just took over <laughs> one part of the city and then slowly yeah, started men. marching across the well, city." Like- in a neighborhood where a woman would be too afraid exactly. to. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, like, my thing is that, like, gentrification is not necessarily a bad thing. It's the rebound from the 70s of white flight. 
And it wasn't just white people that left. They call it white flight. But Prince George's County is filled with black people that left the city also. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, like, gentrification to cities is, in my opinion, not a bad thing. They've, they've given it this term and they say, like, oh, they're coming and taking houses from people and changing the neighborhood. That is all happening. But, like, they're forgetting the fact that a lot of people left and their kids don't actually understand why they left because those conditions are over. Yeah. And I'm saying all that to say it's starting to feel very 1970s out here. It's starting to feel very, uh, what, what happened in the 70s? Uh, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Very oil embargo-ish. <laughs> very um, political leaders possibly being assassinated. Like, my dad has talked about this my whole life. I never really, I could never really say that I understood it because that's just not the world that I grew up in. But having heard all those stories for the majority of my life multiple times, because my dad tells stories multiple times, love you, dad, like what's happening right now feels real familiar to me, even though I've never experienced it before. So you think everyone's about to leave our neighborhood? I don't think everyone's about to leave our neighborhood. But I do think that a lot of the conditions that were in the 70s that caused Mm -hmm. white flight, I would point to San Francisco. Yeah. I I do think also like... It's just... Yeah. Sorry, just to like close that thought. It's just that it's no longer going to be called white flight. It's rational people assessing the situation and getting the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. Like, it's not racial anymore. It, it can't be racial. Everyone who has the means to leave San Francisco is leaving. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it is, it's not race-based. It's not, oh, there's a lot of black people moving into this neighborhood. I don't feel safe anymore. It's... it's I, I moved into these neighborhoods to be with like cool urban people, not even black people, because you know we have a lot of minorities in DC. And then they're like, "Well, it's not worth it. I guess I'll just go to the boring suburbs again." I mean, like, look, I think the city matters. You know, I see stuff that's going on in San Francisco. I don't live there, but I see a lot of stuff. But it's also what's being presented to me, so I got to take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of stuff happening in Chicago. Again, it's what's being presented to me. Got to take it with a grain of salt. Same thing with New York. Same thing with D.C. Same thing with all of our major cities, L.A. and the homeless problem. It's all over the place. And if we don't solve these problems, these fundamental problems of public safety, people will just leave. It's that simple. If you're a rational thinking person, you will just say, if I have the means to remove myself, I will. And I think the difference between what happened in the 70s and what's happening right now is that they just gave out 2.25 interest rate 30-year mortgages to a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. How bad do you want to move? Mm -hmm. You're kind of trapped. If you got 2.25 and it's at 7.25 today. Where are you going? And you're like, oh, I'm going to the suburbs. No, you're not. No, you're not. Not if you barely got into that house because it was 2.25. So that's what I think is the difference this time is a lot of people are just house trapped. Maybe you can eat the loss. You know, maybe you put down a bunch of cash for your down payment and you're willing to walk away from it for your safety. That makes sense. Um, But I also think that a lot of people are just really like, this was too good of a deal. I'll deal with a lot more than I would have dealt with had I not gotten this great of a deal. I do feel like that is what's happening right now because. 
the number of people that have not left San Francisco is shocking. It's just shocking. I agree with you. I mean, I think New York is different, whereas like people will live in squalor and pay a lot of money to because it's New York. But San Francisco, it does feel like people are trapped there. And especially the tech workers or people working in the tech industry, they want to leave now and they can't because their companies are making them go in. That's so part of the trap. It's a very, it's a, it's a really scary situation where like these people make a lot of money, but they seem to have no control over their lifestyles and like their safety. Did we talk about Boeing? No. Okay. So here's what Boeing is doing. Mm -hmm. Boeing has set up like these satellite offices so that they're like lower level, but executives mm -hmm. don't have to live in Seattle mm -hmm. and they're flying them in on like private jets. Wow. They're, they're making them come. Yeah. But they're like, oh, but here's a private jet. We'll put six of you on a jet and fly you in like one day a week or whatever, serious. whatever, whatever the, the, whatever interval, is, interval yeah. is. Right. But here's, here's why I think that's so interesting to what you were saying about like, they don't have control. You know, there's been this narrative for a while now called neo-feudalism or techno-feudalism. And when I heard that Boeing story, I was like, aha, this is it. Mm -hmm. You can be a junior executive. You can make 200000 300000 whatever number is appropriate yeah. in the future because they're going to print a bunch of money, so mm -hmm. salaries will go up. You can earn that money. And if you get with the right organization, they're basically going to give you the offer of you can live in one of these locations that we've established these satellite offices and things are cheaper there, right? You can have your one, two, four acre estate, right? Because mm -hmm. you can't have it in the city. You can't have acreage in the city. Um, but your requirement is that you come to headquarters, AKA the castle, mm -hmm. and you bend the knee yeah. once a quarter, right? And for that, you are allowed to go back to where you want to live and live how you want to live and and roll those surfs and 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 have surfs yeah right and so like when i heard that boeing story i just i really chuckled not at the the fact that they're flying them and how that's ridiculous it's like let's just drop the veil like let's stop pretending like there aren't people that have different privileges and let's just kind of codify it so that we have a little more control. Yeah. So instead of like not knowing where anyone is, like, are you working from home? Are you working from Costa Rica? Are you working? No, no, no. We're in Seattle. So you can live in Boise or you can live in Montana or you can live in this 800 mile radius. Right. We've picked a couple of towns and the plane will be waiting there for you. <laughs> But your butt so better be weird. on it. And we're not going to pretend like that's not what's going on. But we just want to be able to track you better. I really do wonder what's going to happen in 10, 20, 30 years when you have like this antiquated mindset of the old model. Those people retired. Let's just say retired. Um, what's going to carry through and carry on? Because I think people in our generation are not really interested in that type of inefficiency and like overhead cost. Right. And so this is this is Even what Even if it's like, oh, it's nice to be together. I I don't think anyone our generation would be willing to spend that much money. The company's money even on a private jet to fly people in. So this is this is my point though is that the old model 
is that we came from monarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Like pre-World War One is monarchy. World War One is still monarchy. Mm-hmm. World War Two is like, eh, we got a few, but it's yeah. unless you're in the Middle East, it's over, right? So from monarchy, you have the concept of the castle. And then we built all these major corporations to, you know, fight World War II, basically. Or they became these major corporations because of World War II. And so the headquarters just became the new castle, right? Like Detroit is Detroit. There was three castles there, Ford, Chrysler, and the other one. With Bitcoin, bringing it back to Bitcoin, and the digital economy that exists, now it's just your Bitcoin stack. And I go back to how many of these corporations have Bitcoin? They're sitting there on these depreciating assets, these headquarters. Wasting all of this money. Wasting money and electricity. Just trying to hold on to their power. And and the perception that it imposes on people. But I'll tell you what, when Bitcoin does go to these ridiculous numbers that people are talking about, no one's going to care what your headquarters looks like. No one. Yes, there will be people that, you know, Michael Saylor's headquarters will probably get a little bit nicer, right? Because they'll just be comically wealthy. Well, yeah, it's like you say, but, you know, people are like, well, do you know how much a movie ticket could have gotten you in Bitcoin 10 years ago today? It's like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, okay, how much are you spending on this private jet every week? How much? Do you know how much Bitcoin you could be buying and just do a video conferencing call? And that is why... All of these people that are starting businesses today and or the Michael Saylors of the world, they've already got that calculation in their head. They just need to codify it into their business. And then everything has to be justified against this or buying Bitcoin. Because whatever you're about to spend this money on is gone. Yeah. Like flying 20 people to Seattle or buying $100,000 worth of Bitcoin that will compound at least 7% every year. For, like, you buy the Bitcoin. You don't need the, that. Tr- you don't need that. And so you got a lot of people, to your point, that are stuck in this old way of thinking. And they will continue to operate their businesses like that. And they'll just go out of business. Some will go slowly. Some will go fast. Because the people that are coming up behind them have this new technology that's going to help them catch up so fast that these people might not even be gone before they lose. And I don't really have the best like example for that because there's so few companies that are operating on a Bitcoin standard. But I do, I will make the very bold prediction that micro strategies in its lifetime will buy one of the FANG companies. Mm-hmm. Facebook, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, maybe not Amazon. Uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, all these companies that we talk about today, yeah. one of them are going to be acquired because MicroStrategies is sitting on a stack of Bitcoin that they can borrow against to buy whoever they want. And no one is thinking about what that means. Because what that really means is if MicroStrategies doesn't want to buy you, there's no value. All right, I'm just going to close this episode up with I just want to go on record to say I hate the return to office policies. I first hate that they call it return to work because we've been working this whole time. Um, but I'm going to have to go to the office soon. Um, they're, making, they're making me go back in. <laughs> and it makes me so upset because I'm all about efficiencies in my job. It's like kind of my expertise process improvement. And 
it is so inefficient for me that I like I'm having like micro anxiety sessions where I'm like, how am I still going to be efficient? Like it's hard enough, like having to take care of Keon. I have to stop. I have to pump. I have to do those types of things. And I'm like, and I have to go into the office now. It just blows my mind that there's actual leadership that has experienced the efficiencies of work from home and just virtual work life, especially when you are a really big organization, when you're international or national, whatever. Um, And to be doing this, it's so backwards and it's so aligned with like the backwards fiat mindset where like money's not really real. It doesn't really matter how much money you're spending. Yeah, 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 right. Um, And so I really do hope that some of this kind of aligns and like with maybe Bitcoin popping, whatever, it kind of gets people thinking more about like, all right, well, there is an additional cost to these efficiencies, which is also like you could have been buying Bitcoin instead. And that's how I'm going to close it. And I'm going to have the final word because you talked a lot this episode and this is my show. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. It's time to join the Fountainhead Nation. Go to fountain.fm to download the app onto your phone. Once you've installed the app and have set up your account, search for Flirting with Bitcoin and follow us. You should also be able to find and follow every other podcast you listen to as well. Listen to our show and episodes from your other favorite podcasts to earn your first sats, which are fractions of a Bitcoin. And keep an eye out for our promoted episodes on Fountain's homepage. We promote every episode so you can earn up to 100 sats just for listening. Yeah, that's right. Your attention's valuable to us. You're not just a set of earballs we've collected for advertisers. You can use the sats you've earned to send us a boost, which is like a little payment with a message. We are very active and respond to almost all the boosts we get. Every episode, we also give a shout out to the top boosters from the previous episode. And if you want to support us or other podcasters with more sats than you earn, you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card or a lightning transfer from apps like Strike or Cash App. The easiest way to learn is to just get started. If you have any trouble or questions, go to support.fountain.fm. The team is extremely helpful and responsive. That's it. Now you're all set up for podcasting 2.0.